0: truth about money part three the title of the message is how to have it if you are not in-house we're going to ask that you go to watershurch.guide or if you don't have a piece of paper that was given to you on the way in you can still take notes by clicking on today's message here at watershurch.guide the truth about money you some people get funny when the preacher talks about money not you people amen I believe you're ready for a good word in season. So let's get to it. Ecclesiastes chapter five as well. So take out your Bibles. And it's real easy to find Ecclesiastes because all you gotta do is basically go halfway through your Bibles, right down the middle, at least in my Bible, right down in the middle, Ecclesiastes chapter five. I'm praying for you today at every location that God speaks to you. And the reason why I pray that is because this is a real issue for many, many people. In fact, most people struggle with finances in some way, shape, or form. I ran across an article a couple of weeks before doing this series, and I said, man, I gotta share the title of that article with the church when we talk about money. And and here was the article. I'm I'm a bit of a stock guy. I do some stock investing here and there. But here is what the article said. Uh, actually, we're going to skip this slide. We're going to go straight to the article from marketwatch.com. I want you to see this headline. I'm paycheck to paycheck. I make $350,000 a year, but I have eight hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars in student loans, $170,000 in car loans, and a mortgage that I pay $4,500 a month on. Do I need professional help? <laughs> uh You need spiritual help. Something is tragically broken in your life when that is your testimony about money. I mean, $350,000 a year and paycheck to paycheck. Hey, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down right at the top of the note page. Having money is not about the amount I have, but the attitude I develop. It's never about the amount. Because you can be $350,000 a year income and still be paycheck to paycheck. Did you, did you know that in the ancient world, there was a God in, um, in Babylon, and they called that God Mammon. And it was a God that referred to your financial increase. In fact, it is that word in Aramaic, mammon, that Jesus uses in the Gospels when he says you cannot serve God in mammon. And Jesus acknowledges that there is a spiritual power to money. Think about that. There is a spiritual power to money because money has a spirit to it. Uh, A lot of us, we can attest to this in our own lives, that, that when we get money unexpectedly, we immediately feel an enormous amount of joy. And when we're tight with money and we don't have enough, we immediately feel an incredible sense of stress or depression or sadness. And those emotions are speaking to a spiritual reality behind the money that is alive and well in our culture. Now, a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I said to you how Americans are, by and large, very wealthy people. I want to show you this. Uh, by way of uh, uh, graphic here up on the screen, did you know that America is the wealthiest place in the world per capita? On average, Americans have $176,000 of net worth. $176,000 of net worth. That doesn't mean cash. That could mean your property value, your car value, add your 401k. Everything on average, everything all together added up. What's that worth? And on average, the American is $176,000 per household. The second place country is Switzerland with $128,000. Switzerland is second to us by a lot, by almost, what is that, almost $40,000, $46,000 less. What I'm trying to tell you is you live in the wealthiest country in the world and perhaps the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And if you are making the average American income singular as a single person, um, say $55,000, that's the average income of an American. Did you know that you're in the top 4% of income earners in the world? In fact, let me put this graphic up there. This is a picture representing the world's population. Uh, If you were to to divide it up into this number of people, that's you. That's the percentage you represent of people in the world relative to your income. What I'm trying to tell you is, Americans, you are not just wealthy. You are exceedingly rich by every estimation on the planet. How are you feeling about that? You don't feel very rich, do you? It's amazing because we are, and yet we don't feel it. Why? Because there's a spirit behind money. And the spirit says things like, you don't have enough. You don't make enough. You're paid. Shame on you. You should be doing more. You should be having more. There's a real life waiting for you. If only you had. And the devil is always using money to speak into our spirits. Well, today, I want to help you tell the devil to stick it. Are you ready to tell the devil to stick it? Woo! And this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a guy named uh, Solomon. He was an exceedingly rich man. And he wrote three books in the new, in the Bible. And I think when it comes to this topic of how to have money, we should listen to somebody who had a lot of money and whom the Holy Spirit validated by publishing his works In the Bible, the Bible is written not by one. Well, the Bible is written by one author, the Holy Spirit, but forty different people through the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. One of those Bibles was King. One of those men was King Solomon, son of David, exceedingly wealthy. He was so wealthy, the Bible says that in his day, silver was accounted as stones. In Jerusalem, Think about that. Silver was accounted as stones because it was that prosperous. He led the nation in prosperity. He elevated their standard of living. He prospered himself and the nation, and they had reached the zenith of their experience under King Solomon's leadership. He was a, a, a fine leader, wise leader, and he writes three books when he's young and in love. He writes the book Song of Solomon, which comes right after Ecclesiastes, and that's a romantic novel between him and his wife. It's also a picture of Christ and the church. And then when he's a middle-aged guy and he has children running around the house, and he had a lot of children running around the house because Solomon had a problem with women. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I don't know how on earth he did it, but he did it. And he had all these kids running around his house, all these little boys, and so he writes in middle-aged Proverbs And Proverbs is about wisdom, how to avoid the the traps of life, how to avoid the dangers of life. And when he gets all the way to the end of his life, after he has been there, done that, got the t-shirt, Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And can I submit to you that Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Because Ecclesiastes is where Solomon gets real. He gets real about life. Hard book to understand. A lot of people go to Ecclesiastes and they say, I can't believe this is actually in the Bible. A lot of this stuff is crazy to think about. It's actually in the Bible because the main theme of Ecclesiastes is one word. Here's the word, meaningless. He gets to the end of his life. He's like, let me just tell you about life now. It's meaningless. You're like, wow, that doesn't sound very biblical. That doesn't sound very spiritual, Solomon. But there's a key phrase that he uses when he talks about the meaningless of life. And the phrase is, under the sun. Under the sun. So, what Solomon is saying is that if this life under the sun, that is the sun that's in the sky, if this life is all that there is, it's filled with trouble, it's filled with hardship. It's filled with challenges that we don't anticipate and we don't know how to handle. And there are going to be people that challenge us and things that challenge us. And even our own spirits are going to challenge us. And, and even, even all the pleasure and all the things we can gain, it'll, it'll only last for a moment. And at the end of the day, if this is all that we have, then life on this planet is meaningless. That's his message in this book. But as every once in a while in the book, Solomon pops his head above the clouds... Looks up beyond the sun and reminds us that there's more to this world than what we see with our eyes. He reminds us that there's someone who lives. Over the sun. We live under the sun. But there's someone who is over the sun. And it's not the S-U-N sun. It's the S-O-N sun. And because the S-O-N son of God lives over the S-U-N. And he knows me. And he has me in his hand. And he loves me and died for me. No matter what happens to me under the sun. I've got a heavenly savior over the sun. Who's got me right where he wants me. I can be... I can be courageous. I can be faithful. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he does this for us. He pops his head over the clouds and he reminds us, listen, there's a God. He's watching. And when it comes to money, man, this will drive you crazy. This will speak to your spirit. It'll depress you. It'll stress you. It'll worry you. But if you join me for a moment, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5, if you join me for a moment, we can stick our head above the clouds of uncertainty and see that God has something to say to us. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I'm going to do something I don't usually do. I want you to stay seated at all locations as we read this text, Ecclesiastes 5. And the reason why we're doing that is because when you all stand down here, you block way too much of the video screen. And let's be honest, they come to see me, not you. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Okay. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are doing is evil. And then this next line. Be not rash with your mouth. Oh, I love that saying. Just turn to your neighbor and say, be not, be not rash with your mouth. Mm, mm-hmm. mm, mm. Oh, boy. I shouldn't, maybe I should have told you to say that to your neighbor. Anyway. He says, don't, be, don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Why? He says, because God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be, what's the next word? Few. And then let's skip down to verse four. He says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in repaying it, for he takes no pleasure in fools, pay what you owe. But then look what he says in verse five. It is better that you do not vow than you vow and not pay. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Let's skip to verse 8. If you see in a province, in a state or in a country, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by another, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is the gain from from the land in every way a king is committed to cultivating fields. Then look at this verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will not be satisfied with his income. This is vanity. Another word, another translation says, this is meaningless. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is sleep to the laborer, whether he eats little or much, for his stomach. Uh, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry it away in his hand. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray, speak and lead our hearts to hear your voice. We pray that the Holy Spirit governs every atmosphere where your people are gathered in Waters Church locations. We ask, God, for my words to be what you want them to be, and our hearts to be open, and our ears to be open to what you are saying. And most importantly, as we pray every week, help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said... Amen, amen. How to have money, four points, and then we're done. But don't get excited when I get on the fourth, fourth point because I got three points under 4.4. 4. So I think that's seven points total. How do you have money? Solomon tells us. And again, we're listening to a guy who knew how to have money. Because as much as he was rich, it wasn't his riches that caused him to get um, prideful and arrogant. It's actually his his sexual life. And that's a whole other message series. And we're not talking about that here. We'll talk about that another time. But, but his, he was not... He did not have a problem with money. He had a problem with with sex and immorality. And so when we look at Solomon's words, we're looking at a guy who knew how to have it. And what does he say? Number one, write it down. Listen to God. You want to have money, listen to God. Write it down in your notes there. That's what he's saying here in Ecclesiastes 5. And it's not ironic, it's not without purpose that Solomon opens Ecclesiastes chapter 5 talking about how we go to church and and then he winds his way down to the issue of money. He says, listen, if you want to know how to have money, get yourself to the house of God because that's where you can learn that there's more to life than money. And think about that. I mean, every area elsewhere is talking about money or what to do with it. You get on your social media, you scroll, you're going to see an advertisement for what you are missing out on. Or you're going to see somebody else's post on their vacation in the Bahamas. You're going to think, wow, that must be nice. I wish I had the money to do that. Or you're going to turn on the television, and today is Sunday, you know, the weekly worship of football in America. And you're going to watch football, but most of the game, come on, let's be honest, most of the game is what? Commercials. Telling you need this, that, the other thing, and your life is missing. And then you're going to watch these men wearing spandex, running around a football field, playing a kid's game, and you think, must be nice. Must be I got to work for a construction company. I got to go put my hands and do all this dirty work. And these guys get to play a game for a living and they get paid millions of dollars. Must be nice. Ain't anybody with me? Anybody aggravated like that? You know what I'm talking about? And so this is what your life is like. You're constantly absorbed in this whole game of money and what you don't have and what you need to have to be happy. And measuring your life against somebody else's life and looking at someone else's blessing. I wish I had that kind of blessing. And that's everywhere else. But listen, when you come to God's house, you listen to God's voice. And God has something good to say about money. And the best thing he can say to you is, there is more to life than what you have in your hand. Life is more than the amount in your checking account. The possessions of your... Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. so if you want to know how to have money, first things first, listen to God. What does he say in verse one? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And then he says, listen, draw near to listen. Don't just spout off at God. Let me tell you what he means by that. He means don't come to God and say, God, I need... God, I ask you for. God, I wish you would do. Now he says, first, listen. Before we speak, God has something to say. Before we tell God what we need, God has something to give us, to guide us in our lives. He says, be not rash with your mouth. Verse 2. He says, this is a hasty heart. It's not good to come to God and have all this stuff up in here and just kind of unload on God with all of your cares because here's why. If you do all the talking, you don't get to hear the truth that he wants to speak to you. Let's be honest, our hearts are liars by nature. We lie to ourselves. The scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart of man is deceitful above all else. It means that the most deceitful part of you lives inside of you. And if you let this thing do all the talking and all the worrying and you let it all come out, You never get a chance to hear the word of life, the word that comes out of Jesus' mouth that calms the seas and stills the wind and brings peace to the situation and lets you know that God is still in control. You might not have what you think you should have. You might be going through a stressful financial season, but God has a word for you today, and the word is peace. Be still. I'm still on the throne. Washington, D.C. does not dictate your life. Your boss does not dictate your financial prosperity. Your father in heaven has his eye on the sparrow and you can guarantee he's watching over you. That's the good news of the gospel. So if you, if you want to live with money the right way, listen to God's voice over every other voice. And here's why. I want to kind of like unpack this a little bit more practically. When it, to, when it comes to fears, and I want you to write this down. When it comes to fears about money... We want immediate answers, but God wants expedient actions. We want answers. God, I need 50 bucks this weekend. He's like, all right, well, you know what? I got some things for you to do that if you do these things, you're going to have 50 bucks. You won't have to ask me every single weekend. We want, we want immediate, we just solve the problem, God. And God's like, okay, I'll solve problems and I can, but I want to build you up with wisdom so that when this problem shows up next time, you're not freaking out, you're not falling apart, and you have firmness of faith. I don't know about you, but I like that kind of life a little bit better than the life that's always like, Lord, help. like He wants you strong. He wants you courageous. He wants you managing your life well. So it is Thanksgiving week. Woohoo! Thanksgiving. How many of you love some pumpkin pie? I'm not a fan of pumpkin pie, but I got, a, I got a pumpkin pie illustration we're going to show you here on a video of how God wants you to take expedient action, one simple way to have more money. You may not have ever thought about it, but it comes from God's word, and I've been doing it for years. Watch this video. Hello, this is Julia Troy. <laughs> Hey everybody, we are in God's kitchen today. And no, not technically God's kitchen. This is the kitchen of our Apollo Beach location. Behind me, a beautiful oven. I got some things baking. I'm excited to visualize something for you about how to have money. Okay, so your life is gonna basically come down to three main categories when it comes to what you do with your money. The big picture items, then the essentials, and then the non-essential secondary items. Over here, the big ticket items are government, God, savings. Really, what you wanna aim for is this picture. You're gonna wanna have savings for when you have an accident, you're gonna wanna put God first, and taxes and death are the only two certainties in life this side of heaven. The essential items, clothing, We're so glad that you have them today, okay? Housing, where to live, where to lay my head, food, I've got to eat, If I have kids. I've got to make sure that they also have these three items. Hobbies, entertainment, fur babies. What I see and what I've watched with so many people, and it's probably happening in your life, is there's no agreement in the house, no agreement between husband and wife, or maybe if you're single, between yourself and God, that you're going to put the right things in the right places, First thing I want to show you, baked today fresh from the grocery store, a pumpkin pie. What do we do with our pie? Our pie represents money, what we're going to get paid every week, all the week, or every month. What I see a lot of people doing is they're just cutting it up as it feels good or whatever is important in the moment they give their money to. That's not going to work. So here's what that looks like. You cut it up and you think, okay, I get paid. But guess what happens first in our country? A huge portion goes right to this guy, right to government. Then a lot of people say, you know, I'm going to have a mortgage or a rent. And how many know that inflation has really expanded that piece of the pie? That's got to go to our housing. So then we also have to pay for food. That's that's an essential. That's going to take out a huge chunk of our budget. And look at how much pie we have left. This is why we get to the end of our month and there's a whole lot of month left to the end of our money. How much of the pie are the kiddos gonna take? Let's be honest, they're gonna take out a bunch of that pie. We're down to very little, aren't we? Look at this small little pie. And you know what I see a lot of people doing? They do this. I gotta have my hobbies. I gotta have my entertainment. And I gotta have my fur babies. And I gotta try to put it all in this one little piece of my pie I'm gonna just, you know what, just to shorten the deal here, just gonna pop them all in here and make sure that we've got those things going on in our lives. This is how a lot of people use the money that God gives them. And unfortunately, what they have left is crumbs. And how terrible it is to give God what's left over. Or how about this, your future self. Most Americans do not have enough money to last without a paycheck for more than a couple months. That's unacceptable. And let me tell you, that's where your stress levels come from. That's where your anxiety comes from. You've got no freedom, no sense of I'm together now. Can I tell you that God does not want that for you at all? But if you do life like that, just letting whatever comes first get paid first and go out first financially, your life is gonna be filled with worry and consternation. And it is not at all how God wants you to live. So let's try something different. If you get these principles, this is how you're gonna be blessed and well off in life, which is what God wants for you. He wants you to be at ease, knowing that you've got a backup fund, he's first, you're paying less taxes, you're providing for your family, and you're enjoying life. It's not a problem, it's not a sin to enjoy things in life. A whole day of baking, I am (coughs) exhausted. Let's do it God's way. The American government has got a secret weapon for you. If you do what I'm about to tell you, you will have more money left over for all the other things that you care about. We are Christians, and we don't just say God is first. We actually live that God is first. So I take one-tenth of this pie, and I give it to God. So instead of taxing you on the whole pie, right now we've just cut down to 90% of what the government can get their hands on. The government of the United States also allows you to invest in your future you, tax-free as well. There's no other country in the world that does this. This is so beautiful. Watch this. I take another 10%, and I cut that out of my paycheck, and I say, this is not the government's either. This is future self. 10% to God, 10% to savings. This is the best thing you can do in life. I'm telling you, financially speaking, it pays huge dividends. I don't know if I can still find that other piece. This is the government last time when we didn't put God first. This is the government this time when we put God first. I don't know about you, but I'm a huge fan of paying less money to the government. Then the rest of the pie. I have to budget. I have to think, okay, I don't need To shop at Armani or Versace, (laughs) I can go to some store where they're going to sell me last year's styles for much cheaper. Housing is also much more manageable if you think about what kind of rate are you paying. Right now you don't want to refinance, rates are through the roof. Times will shift, the economy will transition, rates will come down, and you could lower the amount of this pie piece that you're giving to housing. you got to keep this in mind, you got to have this game plan in your head. And then when the kids are talking about their piece of the pie, I wanna do something, I want you to see this. And, oh, right there. And ladies and gentlemen, the best way to make sure that your kids don't suck you dry. You're going to have to do food, and that's non-negotiable. And look at this. Look at how much money we have left over. Oh, my gosh. Look, we could even, yeah, let's throw some more at the uh, food budget. We're going to go out. We're going to spend up. We're going to get crazy. We're going to go to Outback Steakhouse. That's what we're going to do as a family this weekend. Or we're going to pay a little bit more for the kids because, you know what, they're good kids, and they're, they're helpful around the house, and they're doing some chores, so we're going to give them an allowance. And then look at this. Then we can still divide up the rest of the pie and put all these great things that we enjoy in life. But you're putting the right things in the right place. Who's first? God's first. Who's second? You. Your future self is second. Who's third? Government. Government comes third on this list. And then all the essentials play themselves out because you're working with greater margin as a result. And then you're putting your non-essentials in the right place. And listen, it's better to have no money for entertainment one week than having no money for clothes or your kids one week. But you got to prioritize, and you got to learn how to tell your money where to go before you're wondering where it went. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be blessed, and he wants to add that blessing to your life with no pain added to it. Amen, amen. That's just a simple illustration. I know there's a lot more complication to it for some of you, but that's the start you put God first, your future self second, and government comes third. That's point number one. Point number two, write this down. God wants something for me, not from me. So many people get freaked out when it comes to the church talking about money, and I never understood that. I never understood it. You understand, I have been doing this job now for 20, almost 25 years. Two and a half decades I've been in vocational ministry. That means I've been getting a paycheck from doing what I do for 25 plus years. Every year I've seen God come through for our church. Never once has our church had a point in life where the finances just weren't there. And believe me, we've had some ups, we've had some downs, but God has always been faithful in every generation. Do you know why? Because the church belongs to him, not me. And he's always going to take care of his church, which means that I have an opportunity to teach you about money in a way that has no worry. I'm not sitting here trying to raise money for the church. I'm trying to help you learn how to do money God's way, because God ultimately does not need what you have. Ecclesiastes unpacks this in a very strange text. Verse five, he says this, when you vow a vow to God, don't delay in paying him. He has no pleasure in that. Like, Like, don't make promises to God that you cannot keep. Man, a lot of people do that with money. They say, oh Lord, if you will just get me out of this mess, I promise that I'm going to give you the first tenth. Don't do that. Don't make a bargain with God because he says this, if you don't do it, God's going to get angry at your vow. It's better that you just zip your mouth and don't say it. When you want to make a bargain with God, better to say, I'm not doing it because I might fail. I know me. I say one thing, I do another. And God says, yeah, I know you too. So don't say it in the first place. And this is another thing that is pointed out here in this text. Uh, He says, don't make the vow. And I just thought about this very rationally. It's very simple. Um, We don't need to promise God things because God doesn't need it. Doesn't need your money. doesn't Doesn't need you. Doesn't need me. God is totally and fully self-sufficient. Acts chapter 17, 24, Paul unpacks this. It says this, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. It says, human hands can't serve his needs. Why? Look at the next line. For he has, what? He has no needs. He gives life and breath, everything. And he satisfies every need. God does not need what you got. So what I love about that is it makes God the only God worth serving. Because a God who doesn't need me is a God who will take care of me and provide for me irregardless of what I do for him. He's faithful even when I'm faithless. This is good for you. I can rest and the knowledge that my father loves me. I'm, I'm gonna have some good days where I'm serving him and I'm doing my best and I'm following his word. And then I don't know if I'm talking to anybody who's honest in church today, but I'm gonna have some days where I really fail. Anybody with me on that? Or am I the only uh, sinner in the house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna have some days where are like, Lord, I can't believe I did that. And the good news is, is that that doesn't change God and it doesn't change the way He sees us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He'll never leave us, He'll never forsake us. And my certainty now in life is to know that He is my foundation, He is my source, and He takes care of me. Because He doesn't actually need anything that I have for Him, He wants to give to me. Look what Jesus says to the disciples in Luke 12 He says, Don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And look at this next line, nor be what? Just circle, nor be worried on your notes. Man, that's a big one for me. I don't know about you, but I worry a lot. I let worry come on in. And before you know it, I'm worrying for 15 minutes. And you know what you need to do with worry? You need to say, worry, stop it. God's in charge. God's got this. He has me in the palm of his hand you got to tell worry to get lost. Then he says this, all the nations of the world, they do that. They seek after all these things. And your father in heaven knows that you need them. And it says this, instead, seek his kingdom. What does that mean? That means put him first. That means get involved in his movement. What is his movement? His movement is the church. And what is the church? The church is God's agent to bring people to salvation. That's what we are doing as a church every time we gather on the weekend. At Waters Church across all locations, every time we gather, somebody's getting saved. Somebody's crossing from death to life. Somebody's entering into eternal joy every time we gather as the church. Be involved in that because there is no greater privilege in life than to be involved in life change here on this earth and seeing someone be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. Can I get a good amen right there? But you know all that, put God's, fear, put God's kingdom first. And then he says this, I love this, fear not. I love how, how, I love how Jesus has to tell us not to worry and not to fear in the same sentence because he knows we're propensity for fear. So fear not, for it gives your father good pleasure to what, to give you the kingdom. Some of you are like, oh, God doesn't wanna do anything for me. I know he's up to No, 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 fear not. God takes pleasure in giving you the things you need. He takes pleasure in that. Some of you dads know this. You know this experientially. Because your father, your sons come to you. And they want something. And they want to do something. And, and you know what? If you're a good father. You don't sit there and say. Well I saw you last week. I saw you, know, you did that. And I'm not sure I want to give you. No you take pleasure in giving your kids things. And providing for their needs. That's what good fathers do. My son came to me the other day, and uh, he said to me, Dad, I want to get an electric guitar. And I'm like, that's awesome. Let's get an electric guitar. Ran right over to the store. We got a guitar. He brought it home. And then I said, not so awesome to have an electric guitar in the house. Anyway, but I was pleased to be part of that process to say, yeah, I want to bless my child. Ladies and gentlemen, if I know how to do that, and I am not God, God in heaven knows how to do that way more than me. He wants to give you things. He wants to bless you because he doesn't need anything from you. Number three, how to have money. Here's what Solomon teaches us: expect the unfair and look to God. Oh, I wish I could spend a whole message on this mess on this point. Expect the unfair. Ladies and gentlemen, I got news for you. Equality is an illusion, this side of heaven. This world will never be equal. This world will never be fair until Jesus Christ comes again. And anybody who tells you differently is running for office. <laughs> I don't need your vote. I can tell you the truth. And the truth is, everybody in this world is ultimately looking for, looking out for themselves. And that includes the politician who wants to tell you that it's the one percent's fault or the rich people's fault, or the billionaire class's fault. At the end of the day, those people have the resources to tell you that stuff because they are funded by billionaires and the 1%. I am not that person. I am here to represent what God's word says. And I'm telling you what Solomon says here from 2,800 years ago to Ecclesiastes. He says, this is what's happening in the world and it's always gonna be there. Look what he says in verse eight. If you see the oppression of the poor, the violation of justice and righteousness, what's the next line? What does he say? He says, don't be amazed. It's going to happen. This is life. Life is unfair. So... You're going to waste, and I wish the young people would just tune into me for a moment real quick here, here. You can waste 10 plus years of your life waiting for someone else to make life fair, or you can lift your eyes above the system of this world and put them squarely on your father in heaven and give your life fully to him and watch him work through the unfairness for your good and for your favor. I'm telling you, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. I mean, you can stress and complain for 10 plus years, or you can trust God. That's what Solomon says here. He says, look, if you see this stuff, and here he is, he's the king in Israel. He could have done something about it. And I guarantee you that many times, Solomon was like, "I'm I'm gonna fix that. I'm gonna fix that. I'm gonna fix that. And you know what I think he did? After about 20 years of reigning as king, he was probably like, it's just too much work. I can't solve everybody's problems. There's just too much unfairness. There's just too much inequality. There's too much injustice. So, so, we've got to realize something. And here's what he tells us it's a very strange text, but again, some of the best nuggets of wisdom are in this book, Ecclesiastes. He says, Don't be amazed because the high official, the politician, is watched by a hire, someone who's donating to their campaign. And they have ones who are higher over them, the people who give them the money verse 9 but this is the gain for the land in every way a king is cultivated he says look the guy who promises to take care of you from the politician's office at the end of the day he's just looking out for himself too this is the human heart there are no angels in human skin we understand that we go with that like, there's no angels. <laughs> I like to think about that. When it, when it comes, you're voting for the guy, you're voting for the girl, oh, they're gonna fix. No, they're not. They're going, to, they're going to bow to whatever source is theirs and they're gonna watch out for themselves. So, here's what we do as God's people we don't play that game, we march to the beat of a heavenly drummer. And we trust that the one who knows us and died for us and rose from the grave for us is watching over us and he will help us. That's what Psalm 121 says. My help, what? Comes from, the Lord. comes from the Lord. I want to say my help. You all say comes from the Lord on the count of three. My help. Comes from the Lord. I said on the count of three. I didn't mean that. Just say it. All right, anyway, my help comes from the Lord. He made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your what? He's your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. And so the point that I'm trying to make, and what I think Solomon is saying here absolutely is, there's always gonna be inequality. There's always gonna be injustice. A couple of months ago, I reported this on my YouTube channel about the founders of Black Lives Matter. And uh, this one person, Patrice Cullors, she's got like four houses across the state, uh, across the nation, her net worth is $5 million. They started Black Lives Matter to help poor people. Now they became rich people. And the reporting has come out. And they've hardly given any money to anybody. Because at the end of the day. Oh, I'm not even close to being done. I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you. Just be ready. <laughs> at the end of the day. At the end of the day. The people who think they're t- to tell you they're to watch out for you. Are really going to watch out for themselves. Because that's the human heart. We expect it. And we put our eyes on Jesus who watches over us. Number four. Write this down. Only God can deliver what money promises. Only God can deliver what money promises. And this is so important because, again, like I said in the beginning, there is a spirit behind money. It's talking to you. It's talking to you just like God wants to talk to you. Money wants to talk to you. Finances want to speak into your heart and give you worry or confidence depending on how much of it you have. And so Solomon makes some quick, quick hit bullet points about this here in Ecclesiastes 5, 10. First thing he says, letter A in your notes, is money does not satisfy, God does. Money does not satisfy, God does. Money cannot satisfy, you. look what it says. He who loves money will not be what? Satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. I wanna put a picture of two guys here up on the screen. One of them you might recognize. Does anybody know this guy on the right? That's Bernie Madoff. Anybody know that name, Bernie Madoff? He ripped off $20 billion worth of investors' money. Went to prison for life. He died last year in prison. Built people. It's called a Ponzi scheme. By the way, where do we get the name Ponzi scheme? From a guy named Charles Ponzi, who ironically Waters Church, first ripped off a bunch of people up in Boston, Massachusetts, then moved down to Tampa, Florida, and ripped them off here. Crazy. Coincidence. So the original Ponzi scheme was Charles Ponzi. This guy, Bernie Madoff, also did this. Did you know, though, that Bernie Madoff, up until the year 1992, was a legitimate market guy, and he was pulling in $25 million a year? Legitimately. He was a legitimate millionaire on his way to billionaire status, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He wanted to rip people out to get more money for his life. Inexplainable. But it is explainable when you understand that there's a spirit behind money. It's a controlling, godlike spirit. The guy on the left, that guy's name is Rajat Kumar Gupta. He was from India, and he was born in dirt poverty. He was orphaned, and he moved to America, and he worked his finger to the bone. He ended up becoming the CEO of the most prestigious um, consulting firm in the world. He retired in 2007, and he joined the United Nations, working for them, In 2008, and it was estimated that he was at that time worth $100 million. Guy went from poverty and orphanhood to $100 million in 2008. And guess what? Same story. It wasn't enough. He was on the board of directors for Goldman Sachs in 2008, right around when the financial crisis was happening in this country. And he got insider information as a board member, that Warren Buffett was going to invest $5 billion in Goldman Sachs stock. He knew he would send the stock soaring. So he made a phone call to a head fund manager. And he bought up a bunch of the stock before the deal went through. That's illegal in this country. It's called insider trading. He went to prison. Because he wanted to make a quick million dollars with one stock sale. Dude it was worth $100 million. And what was it? Not enough. There is a spirit behind this. And money is always promising. If you just get a little bit more, you'll be satisfied. If you just make a little bit more, you'll be happy. If you just get to a little bit higher, then life will finally feel full. No, it won't, friend. And at some point, you're going to stop listening to the spirit of the age and the spirit of money and listen to the spirit of God and know that God will provide every need you have and he will provide plenty for you to enjoy. Lift up your eyes and set them on Jesus Christ, the author and Completer of Your Faith. That's what Psalms said. So the Psalmist says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless Him, all that is within me. He 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 forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He crowns my life with steadfast love and mercy." And then look at verse five. He satisfies me with good things. Oh, I love that. He satisfies me with good, so that my youth is renewed, like he. Money doesn't satisfy. Who does? God does. Letter B, money doesn't stay. God does. Money doesn't stay. It just slips through. You know, somebody said money talks. No, it doesn't. It just gets up and walks away quietly. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Where did that money go? It just left. That's what it does. Ecclesiastes 5.11, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. And everybody with teenagers said, amen. So what good is wealth except to watch it slip through your fingers? What are we experiencing right now? What are we experiencing right now? Inflation. Record high, 40-year high inflation. What does that mean? Prices is going up. Why? Do you know why? Because for two years, the government handed out money. For two years, the, money, the government said, don't work, we'll give you money. Stay at home. And it's just slipping through our fingers right now, isn't it? It's just like sand on the beach. It just slips right through. Try to pick it up. And the harder you squeeze it, the faster it comes out. This is what Jeremiah talked about in Israel's day. He says, my people have committed two evils. First, they forsook me, the fountain, the source. Then they hewn sisters out, cisterns, canisters out for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. At the end of the day, when we try to trust in this life, it's like, it's like sand through our fingers and the harder we squeeze it, the more it comes out. Hebrews chapter five, 13, verse five says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be what? Just circle content. That is a powerful, that is a powerful uh, spirit. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hey, pro tip when it comes to finances. Pro tip, and this is this is extra. I'm not gonna charge you for this one. Just right next to verse uh, five of Hebrews 13, just write 24 hours, 24 hours. Why am I telling you that? When I, I want you to remember this next time. When you are about to make a huge purchase... And you're on the verge of handing them your credit card or your down payment, stop and wait 24 hours. And I'll tell you something that saves so many people from making a huge, stupid financial decision. Because 24 hours, you get a good sleep, maybe you have some eggs in the morning, you're starting to think a little bit more clearly, and you go back and you say, actually, I don't need that. I think I'll keep my money. How many people buy something they immediately regret it? That's one of the biggest stressors of finances in our world today. Give yourself time to think. I'm not saying never buy something big, I'm just saying don't do it in the moment. Rest in the knowledge that God has got you and then make a rational decision in 24 hours. Lastly, letter C: Money does not save, God does. Money does not save, God does. Ecclesiastes 5:15. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Truer words were never spoken. Now, I'm a pastor, and pastors have a front-row seat to the big moments of life. We do. We're right there in the front with you when you get married. We're on the stage with you when you're dedicating your children to the Lord. We're there at the hospital when you're sick. And... We're there many times at the bed when you're dying. And I've been at both ends of that spectrum. I've been at the spectrum of where life begins. And I've watched my children be born. Seconds old. Seconds out of the womb. Oh, what a beautiful moment. And I remember watching. I even have it on film of my kids when they were born. You know what their hands were doing? This. It's so funny. They're screaming. Ah, I don't know what's going on. They're all confused. And here, hands just grasping and, and you just think it's just a picture of, of the next 18 years of life for that give me, give me I want to give, give me and they're like, oh yeah when I get them out of the house now they're going to bounce back and they're going like, to give me, give me I want someone grasping, grasping, grasping I've seen that and I've also been at the other oh, bookend of life when people die and I've watched their hands and their hands don't go like this you know what their hands do? they go like this As if to say, I gotta let it go. I can't bring it with me. It's all staying behind. And that is the reality of your life. Because no matter how much money you make, it cannot save you. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10: The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How amazing, friends, that Jesus describes the devil as a thief. You ever think about that? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The first thing he wants to do is steal from you. How does he do that? He gets you to listen to the voice of money, the voice of mammon, the spirit of the age. He comes to tell you how you're missing out. You need this, that, the other thing to be happy. You're never gonna have enough until you get this that part of your life right, and nothing's enough, and he tells you this constantly, and he's doing it all so that he can steal from you. And then he can kill you, and ultimately he can destroy you. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And I love this next line. And have it what? Abundantly. He doesn't want you to just scrape by. He doesn't want you to just barely make it. He wants you to have abundant life. But it's more than money. And so I think that the way to have money, Solomon unpacks here in Ecclesiastes 5. The way to have money is to put your faith in in the God who richly supplies you with everything you need and more, I'll write this down. Kind of sermon in a sentence moment here. Frustration with money ends when faith in God begins. Where are you with money right now? Where Where are you stressing out? Where are you worried? I mean. I, there's always gonna be something. When you have a newborn baby, you're stressed about how to feed it. When they're, too, when they're toddlers, you're stressed about how you're gonna give them the life that you never had. Or when they're getting into college, how am I gonna pay for it? Or when they go out on their own, you're gonna worry about that too. Man, at some point, the game of worry has to end. Or you're gonna get to the end of your life totally discouraged. You gotta trust in the Lord. He's got you. And he offers you eternal life and a heart that is settled with him in heaven. I want to just close this message out with this passage, powerful passage from Isaiah, from the God who doesn't need a single thing from us. Look what he says. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which is not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. eat, What is good? And delight yourselves in rich food. Frustration with money ends when faith in life, in God, begins.